Will the schools in the Kansas City region be ready to open in the era of COVID? We'll examine that important question next. You're on Deep Background. Well, greetings, everyone. You're on Deep Background for August 12th, 2020. Dave Helling with the Kansas City Star. Uh, your host, along with my friend and colleague, Derek Donovan of the editorial board, also a host for the show and the two and, and then two great star reporters to talk about school openings today. Murray Williams uh, joining us and Sarah Ritter. Uh, Ritter. <laughs> my, my, my mouth is a little uh, struggling a little bit this morning. So thanks to you both for being with us to talk Thank about you. school openings. You know, I, I was on another program six weeks ago. I and I think I said school openings will be the most important story for the rest of the summer. And I think that's turned out to be the case. And Murray, we'll start with you. Broadly speaking, scale of one to 10, are we ready for what's about to hit in a couple of weeks? Um, ready? I think that the school districts think that they are ready or as ready as they can possibly be. Um, but I also think that you know, they're not saying this, but I do think that they realistically believe that, you know, no matter what they do or how far they, what kind of protections they put in place, they're going to get hit with um, cases, coronavirus cases, both, you know, among students and amongst teachers and staff. And then that's when they're going to start to run into some really serious problems because, you know, once teachers start getting sick, um, you know, you you have to try to rely on substitute teachers and, you know, all kinds of things. So Well, right, not to mention parents taking their kids out or, absolutely. you know, so, I'm not sending my kid to that school or whatever. I mean, right. so, of- so they're ready in the sense that they have, I think, really done everything they can possibly do or think to do to try to pull this off. Whether this is going to happen, I think that most people are skeptical about that. Sarah, let's go to you. What's your sense of preparedness? I'll tell you just briefly, I was working on a story the other day, and I looked at the at the green, yellow, red grid that they're using in Johnson County uh, to determine whether to open or not. And it seemed to me that if you're in the green, you're okay because you don't have a lot of cases. If you're in the red, you're okay because you just call off classes completely, but we're in that yellow zone where a lot of judgments have to be made. Yeah, that's exactly right. And actually, as of yesterday, we entered the red zone for the first time. Wow. Which So if we stay there, they're planning to make the decision next week, I think districts are, of how they're going to start, whether in person or online. If we're in the same place, we could very possibly be all online at the start of the school year. We should explain, shouldn't we, Sarah, what, what those gradations are? It's based on the number of cases based on tests in a, in a county or a district, right? And the, and the green is low test, yellow is sort of a few more, and then red is, is, is I think, 10% of cases or more, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so it's the 14-day percent positive rolling average of how many tests are positive out of everybody you tested. So right now we're at like 10.2%. Last week we were... Um, uh, creeping up to 10%, but we were below that, which would be in the yellow zone, which would be um, probably a hybrid model for all grade levels. So 
half the kids go to class Monday, Tuesday, then they are home the rest of the week or something like that. Well, not only that, but I think there is a fear, isn't there, Sarah, that you're in the red today, the next week you're back in the yellow, then you're back in the red. And it's really, and, and Murray, I'll ask you too, but Sarah, it's really a fit and start type of thing too, isn't it? Where the situation changes almost daily. It does, yeah, and that's another question is, how long are you gonna give parents and families and teachers to prepare for that shift? So if we start in hybrid, do you wait two weeks before you decide things are going badly, we should go to fully online, or do you give them a month? Or, yeah, that's another decision that I'm not sure is fully fleshed out. There is reason to believe if we do go back to online, though, that we are a lot better prepared for it and that students aren't going to be scrambling the way that they were when we suddenly decided we had to do this in the spring. Is that right? Well, yes, that's true. But you also have to consider that if suddenly we're going all online, then uh, as Sarah was saying earlier, how quickly can parents pivot? So in other words, parents are home, um, you know, are working, and then suddenly their kids are home. Some of these kids are young kids. And so do you, you know, do you leave your child home alone? Do you try to get some kind of childcare. Um, and so there's all kinds of factors that come into play. Yes, the schools may be prepared to do better prepared than they were in the spring to go online, but they also have to consider what happens to that child and where that child goes home to and how that works for the child. I mean, another another complication, of course, is that one building might get hit and another right. building in that same district may be free of COVID and yet it may be a district-wide shutdown. I mean, it's just, uh, and Marae, we'll start with you and then go to Sarah. This, this is extraordinarily complicated. I mean, you have to give administrators a little bit of leeway, don't you? Because the answers, as we talked about earlier, are all very difficult. Yeah, I mean, that's why um, I was talking to some teacher organizations, and that is why they've been calling for state educators to give them a to to make a mandate, a blanket. And I know that that's almost impossible because you have a variety of districts statewide. You have rural and suburban and urban, and they all look differently. But um, at least they feel like if they had sort of a mandate, they would know what's coming and it wouldn't matter. They'd have to follow that mandate, which is never going to happen. So, yeah, so it's just very confusing. I mean, we have school districts who are talking about, you know, let's say there's a breakout in a classroom. We'll just isolate that classroom. We'll isolate that section of the building. You know, I mean, <laughs> so, I mean, it goes down to, to that that final point where, um, you know, just putting one classroom in quarantine or one classroom in isolation, it, it is very complex and it is, it is not simple at all. I do not feel for these districts because yeah. the minute they get an outbreak, you know, that's well, why nobody wants to make the call because yeah. the minute they get an outbreak, it's going to be a problem. Now, I think, Sarah, isn't it true that most of the districts in Johnson County on the Kansas side have at least delayed their school openings? They were supposed to open before Labor Day, now after Labor Day. And at least for some time that, that we're going to this uh, hybrid model, right or not right, where, where some classes are online, some are not. Yeah, yeah, the three major districts, Shawnee Mission, Blue Valley, and Olathe, all delayed the start. I think Spring Hill was the only one that they're planning to start on the 26th if that hasn't changed. And I think Wyandotte oh. County also delayed as well. 
the watch yeah, they're going online for nine weeks, yeah, um, yeah. which I think is the boldest decision that we've seen, at least on the Kansas side. Um, but yeah, and they're still up in the air, whether are we going to be online or are we going to be hybrid, but it definitely won't be all kids in class. We've gotten the numbers back now where it looks like 30% roughly in all districts of students have decided to do online for the whole first semester. So they're getting some more feedback now that enrollment's closed and they're trying to match up the teachers to figure out how to do these two different models of school. Yeah. And what about Kansas City, uh, Missouri? Yeah, Ryan? they're doing the same thing in Missouri. They've delayed school till at least after Labor Day. Most school districts, the largest school districts, have delayed until after. And <clears throat> they think that's, you know, that bides them some time and gives um, teachers a chance to figure out, you know, how they're going to present their lessons. And, for example, Kansas City Public Schools, when they do, they're going to start completely online. So a number of school districts have come out and said that, you know, when we do start, we're going to start completely online. Um, and they're not limiting that because they recognize that this can change at, at a moment's notice. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, we may come back to the sort of difficulty here, but let's assume for a minute, uh, Marie, I'll start with you. Let's assume for a minute that there is going to be a semester of online learning or largely online learning, depending on what happens. Are we any better, closer to understanding how to do that well than we were last year when it was sort of thrust upon districts? I mean, did, did districts use the summer to figure out how to reach kids better, to make sure they all have computers and they all have online access? Because that seems a little haphazard to me, too. I can tell you what Kansas City Public Schools did. Yes, they are better prepared than they were in the spring. Yes, they used the summer to do, you know, uh, teacher uh, development and training over the summer with their teachers. Kansas City went a step further. In addition to that, they also did training with parents. They brought parents in and they did workshops with parents so that parents on the student end would understand the um, digital platforms that they're using so that they can actually work with their students. So the parents have an understanding of what they're doing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, they are better off than they were in the spring. They do know more about what that looks like and what they need to do. But they also all admit that um, online education is um, falls short of in the classroom and the engagement and interaction that they have with the student in the classroom. And isn't that a bit surprising, Sarah? I mean, I remember last spring, everybody said, oh, we'll just go to this online. It'll be fine. Kids will learn that way. Don't worry about it. But I think we're now learning, aren't we, that that semester in some ways, if it wasn't lost, it was certainly a bit of a setback. And you can imagine that if we do online only for another full semester, there will start to be some real gaps uh, in learning. Yeah, it's definitely, everybody says that, you know, the pandemic has highlighted the inequities that already existed in, in Johnson County. That's definitely been true. Um, Olathe and Shawnee Mission both have upgraded their devices and gotten more technology into students' hands that didn't have them before. Districts have talked about students just not showing up, not tuning in. It's more complicated this time around because they'll actually be graded, which they were not, at least on the Kansas side, um, during the spring semester. So they have to show up. They have to clock a certain amount of hours, um, what that looks like for families that are working and for kids who are home alone or if you have elementary kids and you have to work. And it really is a challenge. And, yeah, just the number of hours you have to meet 
Um, definitely. Well, what about families that have more than one child in school? I mean that now. You, I mean that complicates it further. Correct. You have to have two devices, or three, and and that's going to be a challenge for some families. Let alone, you know, wireless capability or places in the house to set up. I mean those 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 questions remain questions, don't they, Sarah? Yeah, and you know, in Johnson County and Spring Hill and DeSoto, even parents just working from home on two different devices, they say they have to get onto hotspots and. They can't log in and multiple people online at once they can't handle. So especially that portion of Johnson County, it's going to be really difficult. It is on a regular day just for people working from home. Yeah. And Missouri side as well, Maria, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly the same issues. I mean, that's why I, I do think that some what they have discovered is that some kids do thrive with online. I mean, some kids thrive online while others may not. And uh, some of the uh Missouri side institutions, I mean, high schools have um, academies, online academies, where everything is going to be online and a parent has the opportunity to choose if they want their child to do just online education. And they will do that for the entire semester or maybe the entire year, right? Um, in addition to that hybrid that Sarah talked about as well. So because some kids do better. I've had my, you know, you look at my two kids, one would have done great online, the other one would have just completely fallen apart. Right, so. which is always true of all education. It's just the challenge is now it seems so, so um, you know, high uh, doing it online. Let me ask you one more question. We'll take a break. Murray, what about the teachers? I mean, the teachers um, have got to be they're, they're uh, confused, yeah, uh, frustrated, angry, worried. All of the above, um, you know, I think, you know, I was told that there are some teachers who say, oh, just as long as everybody has a mask, we'll be fine. But the majority of teachers are very concerned about all of the things we've just been talking about, not just about their health and well-being and the students' health and well-being, but also about the level of education, even though they feel confident in their ability to do online, they still know that there are going to be an, a number of students that are not going to engage, that they're not going to reach. And and so they're worried about that. They're worried about getting sick. A lot of these teachers have pre-existing conditions. They're worried about their families. So yeah, teachers are very, um, they're nervous. They're, they're worried. They're confused. They don't feel like they're getting enough information or enough guidance. Um, so, yeah, teachers have a problem. And administrators recognize that. You know, they know that teachers are feeling that. So, right. And Sarah, that's going to be yet another complication in reopening retirements, sick leave. Uh, you know, and again, one building gets sick. It has to shut down. But another building I mean, the teachers, do we get a sense that the teachers are frustrated enough? You know, in some places they're talking about just not showing up or not working. Is that, well, I don't hear that here, but you do hear the concern. You know, something that a lot of Shawnee Mission teachers have told me is that they have signed up for in-person or hybrid because they're afraid of losing their spot in the classroom. They're afraid of losing their job in that specific school that they've had. And so, so you they know, feel I, like they have no choice. Exactly. Yeah. So wow. even though they were able to give their preference of, hey, I have I'm at risk of, you know, having complications from COVID, you know, they know they still might be in the classroom. And so, yeah, it's really difficult right now. We've heard from a lot of teachers, Murray and I both have, who are saying everything that you're saying, that they're really worried about it. And 
they feel like there's not much flexibility, even if they do voice their opinions. All right, we're going to take a break here. And then when I come back, when, when we come back, I want to chat a little bit about colleges and universities, which is a whole nother set of problems in addition to the ones we just talked about. You're on Deep Background. Hey there, this is Derek Donovan of the Kansas City Star Editorial Board, and we hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you like what you hear, help us support this podcast and the journalism that reporters at the Star do every day by subscribing. There's an easy way for you to do it. Head to kansascity.com slash background. You'll even get a special discount just for being a deep background listener. By subscribing at that URL, you will get three months of unlimited digital access to the Star for $1.99 total. That's right. You get access to KansasCity.com, the e-edition of the newspaper, our mobile apps, and more for three whole months, and it only costs you $1.99. That's a pretty sweet deal. Plus, you will be supporting journalism that makes a difference in Kansas City. So, go grab your computer or mobile device and head to KansasCity.com slash background. And hey, thanks for listening. Okay, Dave Helling with the Stars Editorial Board, along with Derek Donovan of the Ed Board, back on Deep Background with Sarah Ritter and Marae Rose Williams, both of the Star. Okay, uh, ladies, we've just talked about uh, uh, K through 12, but colleges and universities are a whole different problem, uh, or at least an additional problem, right, Marae? I mean, you've got dormitories now you have to worry about, kids who like to party, Kids coming from all over the country uh, and 40,000 people in one place. Yeah, uh, I mean. So, so, K through, so K through 12 is one set of challenges. Are they ready at UMKC, at KU, at MU? What's your sense? I am going to repeat what I said before. <laughs> they think they're ready. You know, <clears throat> they, um, they spent the summer doing as much as they possibly could to get ready. And I mean, if K-12 is complicated, college is even more so complicated because with college, you're talking about young people who have a mind of their own and aren't afraid to exercise that as opposed to K-12, where at least they, you know, you feel you have some authority over them and you can tell them what to do. Right. So. So, yeah, they also also have students paying money. I mean, they're paying for right, That's my next thing. Plus, they pay for this, right? Yeah. So they have a certain level of expectation. And in a lot of cases, what they pay for is not just the instruction that you're getting on college campuses, but the experience of being on a college campus. So when, and then you tell them, okay, you can go into your dorm room, but you can never have a, you can't have any guests in your room. No guests allowed, no visitors whatsoever, even visitors from people who are already in that dorm. You can't do that. That's going to work. Okay. I mean, I've been to college. You went to college. You know, that's part of the experience. That's one thing. Um, They have to do online and in person that hybrid again in their classrooms, but it will be different from professor to professor. Some colleges are limiting the amount of space that, I mean, the capacity of each classroom, 25%. So if you have a lecture hall that's usually 400 students, you may, that lecture hall, you're using that same lecture hall, but you can only put 100 students in there, which means that you have to have a lot more spaces on campus to hold all these classes, right? Right, or have classes at different times or make real changes in the way you present education. They're already going to class now with the COVID issue from 7 a.m. 
to 9.45 at night. That's regular class time. That's not night class. I mean, that's just regular. They have to spread it out like right. that. They're moved, They're using every single room they've got on campus. I mean, they're turning uh, the student union into a uh, instruction hall, you know? So, I mean, yeah, I mean, they're really trying, but... The, the challenges are very extraordinary, no question yeah, about it. And, and Sarah, don't we get the sense too that the uh, use of remote learning and digital learning and you know uh, is problematic in colleges and universities even more in some ways than it is at K through 12 because kids are paying for you know in-person instruction. I have two, maybe I've told you this story, but my sister has twin sons, one going to Boston University, the other Northwestern, where tuition is not inexpensive. And she was talking to me last spring, like, do I send them back at 50000 a year to, in essence, get the education they could get sitting in my living room if they're going to do it all online? I mean, that, that's a wrinkle, too, isn't it? Yeah, and I've, I've heard from some friends who are going to college across on the other end of the country um, and they said they're considering community college now because if I'm going to be online anyway, I need general ed classes. What's the point of paying $50,000 a year when I could get the same class, the same credits, going to community college? That's something, you know, I've been interested here if we see that at all as well. Um, Marae, the, um, the problems of corralling coronavirus at colleges just seem almost insurmountable, don't they? I mean, I know, I think KU is going to try to take the temperatures of every student. Yeah, they a, are. Does that help? Is that every day? I mean, are they going to take 25,000 temperatures every every day? I mean, I, it seems like it's kind of like the security at the airport where it makes you feel better, but may not be efficacious, as they say. Well, yeah, we all know that it, 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 you're, you're, the temperature tells you how you're doing at that moment, but you could take a steps outside and all of a sudden somebody sneezes right next to you and now you know two seconds ago you took your temperature and whatever you were fine and you know all of a sudden now you're infected right so yes because there are so many people on campus it, it is going to be um challenging they're going to be taking uh, temperatures they're going to be testing um students um every student on campus will be tested and don't you get the sense marie i'll start with you that the problems in colleges and universities are the same as they are in K through 12 in a way, in terms of the institutions not using their time to their best advantage before the fall. I mean, I, don't you get the sense to some degree that administrators thought this thing was going to go away and that if they could just get through the spring, the summer would clear it up and then they could reopen in the fall. And, and that seems to be true from kindergarten all the way to postgraduate. Yeah, I think people operated with the idea of hope. The I, they operated from a place of hope, hoping that it would be gone and they would get back. I heard that so much at the beginning when school first let out. I, I, I heard that, well, we're going to do this for now, but we're expecting that we'll be back in the fall or we'll be back full time. And that didn't happen. So then when they realized um, that that wasn't going to happen. I mean, you could just look at the case numbers and the, the rate of infection. Um, then they had to really start putting together plans. And I think that's why it we're, we're just now some 
just now releasing plans because they waited and waited and waited before they released plans because they were just hoping that they would be able to go back to school. um, And that hasn't happened. And, And to be fair, Sarah, the states have not exactly been paragons of preparedness or consistency. I mean, Kansas issued certain orders, then had to pull them back and then gave people uh, you know, the counties, the right to decide for themselves on masks and other things. And if, if you're a school board member looking to the state for some guidance on all, any of this stuff or run a college or a university, that's, that was hard to come by. I know that I worked a little bit with the Johnson County Community College, and I know you have as well. And it seemed like in June and July, you know, w- without being critical, they were sort of going, well, we're, we just don't know. And that seems to be a replicated experience across all educational levels. Yeah, it has to be so frustrating for the teachers and the families. And, you know, Maria and I wrote a story that came out this week about teachers still don't know their assignments of in-person or online. And that has to be so frustrating. It does seem like it's just down to the wire with all of these decisions. And like you said, it took a while for the Kansas State Department of Education to come out with their 1,000-page document of guidance on how to reopen schools safely, but that's still just voluntary. And then um, Kansas Governor Laura Kelly tried to issue a mandate to delay school, and then they undid that. So it's just, it changes every day, it feels like. And it really is, I mean, we're looking at in less than a month, we're starting school, and we still don't know, is your kid going to be in the classroom or not? Right. And Murray, if you have to wear a mask, in college, do they have 25,000 masks well, every day? I mean, how's that going to work and how do they, they get distributed? They do have to wear masks and they're, you know, one of the things that there's home students to do is, you know, actually bring a supply of masks and then each student that comes on gets a pack. <laughs> I, I laugh. It's not, I'm not, it's not funny. It is, it is the idea that students are going to have, maybe they will have bo- boxes of masks and use them. But boy, I, I did go to college <laughs> and, well, you know, it was hard to get me to wear, you know, regular slacks during a class. It was sweatpants and tennis shoes. Well, also, you have to realize that college campuses are just a microcosm of what's yes. happening in society. So just like we have people who, you know, won't wear masks, you know, walking around here or going to the store or what have you, you're going to see the exact same thing on college campuses because it's just a microcosm of, of society. In fact, New York Times did a study, I mean, a survey of every college, four-year institution, public and private in the country, and listed how many cases they've had from March, when schools shut down, to July 28th. And just for our campuses around here, like NU, they had 10 cases. Um, you know, there were like 29 at, at one school, 18 at another. And they weren't e- they hadn't even opened campus yet. Right. So, and, and, the, and the university says, you know, those numbers actually probably are a lot higher than what well, they... Well, that's even- the other, right. The other problem, of course, is that there are asymptomatic sufferers from coronavirus. Absolutely who are super spreaders without even knowing it, which complicates things even more. Uh, We're about out of time. Go ahead, Maria. I'm sorry. It's not about if, it's more about when there's going to be an outbreak. All right. Quickly, we have to touch on athletics because that's a part of this picture as well. And high schools are going to start practicing football in a week, Uh, Sarah. I mean, or they say they are. Fall sports are going forward. That seems problematic as well. 
Yeah, and that's another thing that they're turning to the county health departments for guidance on. Can we actually do this? It is part of the gating criteria of if we have this much community transmission, we shouldn't allow high school sports. Shawnee Mission School Board on Monday talked about what's a high risk sport and what's a safer sport of cheerleading. Can we do no contact and they stay six feet apart, but practice like they're getting down to the very little details to try to make it work. And the same goes for band and theater and all these other things where kids are close together and they're breathing, breathing heavy or singing. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they decide. They're trying to make it work. It seems like. Yeah. And Marae, obviously college athletics. Oh yeah. College athletics is the, this, the same. They're going through the exact same thing. I mean, it's, when you start talk, talking about the differences between K-12 and, and college, I mean, they're considering exactly the same thing. It's the same sport. I mean, um, they've already had instances of, of outbreaks on with, with college students. I mean, just like right. they had with the NFL. And uh, I mean, I mean, and and let me, they're, let me, debating it. they're really heavily debating it in college, though. Yeah, let, let's wrap up our discussion with this. And Sarah, I'll start with you and then go to Murray. The, the, the subtext to all of this is this is a serious disease, right? I mean, I do get the sense that people, having lived with it now for five months, think, oh, well, it's just a cold or it's just a bad flu, particularly for kids. But we just, there was a story this week that 97,000 kids have tested positive for coronavirus and that there are potentially long lasting uh, physical effects for sufferers, even if you don't die from the disease. I mean, that's the background of all of this. We're not talking about, you know, a passing wave of the flu, are we? Yes, it's still a new disease. We still don't know everything about it. We're still learning as we go. In Johnson County, they're now increasing testing for teens and children. That's something they did not test children for throughout most of the pandemic. And now they're actively putting resources toward that, knowing that there are going to be cases in school. So I think we're about to learn a lot more about how it affects children. No question about it. Murray, this is a this is a real thing, isn't it? Yes, it is. And it's not just about how it affects children. I had a, a, um, a counselor tell me that here's the issue. A child goes to school, they contract COVID-19, they go home, and maybe they do not get very ill, but they, they live with grandma, and grandma does get sick, and grandma doesn't make it, right? Grandma dies. Then that child has to live with the thought that because grandma died because I went to school. What yeah. psychological impact does that have on that child going forward? So, or, or the teacher in that in that child's class, absolutely. or the administrator who decided absolutely. to open rather than not open. Right, and that, or, or the bus driver. You know, if you're taking absolutely. kids by bus, yeah. So it's not just about. So when people start saying, "Oh, kids don't get as sick, and they'll get over it, and so forth," it's not just about the kid getting sick uh, or. It's what that impact that has on that child's family and everybody's family. It's bigger than that. Yeah, it's it's there's no question that pandemics have changed our view of a lot of things. And education, of course, is right at the top of that list. Ray Rose Williams, Sarah Ritter with the star. Thank you so much for this interesting information. We'll have you on again, I'm sure. (laughs) You know, I'll see you in a month and we'll talk about how things have gone, because I think you're both right. We're going to learn a lot in the next four weeks. Derek Donovan, my co-host and and friend, thanks so much for being with us on the podcast as we talk about these important issues. I'm Dave Helling with the Stars Editorial Board. You've been on Deep Background. Mm -hmm.